And now a quick note from our sponsor. What's the number one piece of jewelry, maybe besides your wedding band, that you wear every day? I don't know about you, but for me, it's earrings. No matter how busy I am, I put a pair of earrings on every day. And I keep an extra pair in my purse for earring emergencies because let's face it, we are all super busy. Try the Complete Luxury Earring of the Month Club where you will receive one pair of earrings every month. The whole idea of the Earring of the Month Club is to build an earring wardrobe for you to have a variety of earrings no matter what the occasion, no matter what your mood, you will have earrings to wear with your outfit. Many of our customers tell us they would not have picked out some of the earrings but love them and once they put them on, they wear them all the time. For your Earring of the Month Club experience, go to completeluxurybox.com forward slash earrings. That's completeluxurybox.com forward slash earrings with an S. Welcome to Multiple Revenue Streams, the podcast for anyone who wants to start a side hustle business owners who wish to expand, entrepreneurs who build brands, and moms who build empires. I'm your host, Linda Payan, and I'm here to encourage you to keep going, do the little things every day, and start building a revenue stream that you are proud of. Please sit back, relax, grab your sparkling water, and let's find it. Welcome to the MRS Podcast. Today, we have Danny Watkins, who brings a professional and purposeful approach to igniting learning experiences for all adult learners, whether in the classroom or online. Danny is the Chief Learning Experience Officer and founder of Zenith Performance Solutions. As a regular speaker at learning and development conferences, including Association of Talent Development and Training Magazine's Tech Learn and Training, She brings her 25 plus years of learning and development experience to every course she develops. Danny is known in the industry as passionate about improving employee performance and creating innovative courses that are instructionally sound, create performance improvement and align with an organization's business strategies. When she isn't igniting learning experiences, you can find her hanging out with her family or running a Colorado trail. Welcome, Danny. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I'm so glad you're here. Why don't you share a little bit about when you started Zenith Performance Solutions and how you decided to go that route? Sure. My background is education. My degree is in education. I got my master's in instructional design and adult learning in 2000. And I worked in the corporate, I actually taught for a few years, and then I transitioned to adult corporate training. And when I transitioned to corporate training, my manager left and I really loved working for her. So I followed her and went and worked for her as a consultant. And I sort of learned the world of working with clients and building training for them and working with a pretty flexible schedule from about 2004 to 2008. And in 2008, I really decided that I wanted to start my own business and have a little bit more freedom. So I started my own consulting business in 2008 and that's Zenith Performance Solutions. And so that's what I've been doing for the last 15 plus years. And, you know, I work with a variety of different clients and customers. I tend to get bored with the same content. So it's a really great, if you look at my resume, 
every four years, I either started a degree or I changed jobs. And part of that, I think, is just trying to continue to be challenged and learn new things. And so consulting is a great gig for me because I get to work with a variety of different industries in, in industries I never would have an opportunity to work in and learn content and learn about their businesses uh, and then write content for them. So it's a really good fit. And when my kids were young, it gave me the flexibility to work from home. So I've worked from home since 2004, worked my own business since 2008. So I've always had a lot of flexibility and that's been really important for our family. Nice. That's perfect. Yeah. How did you find your clients when you went out on your own? (laughs) I started working with consultant agencies. So I would do work with an agency, an agency, I would connect with them and they would get the contracts and then I would be a freelancer working on the project. So that's really how I started my career. And most freelancers, that's how they start. They'll find an agency to work with. And then that agency is out there doing the sales and business development and you're doing the work. And that's been a really good model for me. After a few years, I started to get my own clients. And one of my first clients was a former client that I had worked with. I was under a not two-year non-compete. And when my non-compete was over, that client reached out to me and said, I think your non-compete's over. Will you come back and do some work for us? And so that sort of kicked things off. And then I, through referrals, I mean, just getting to know people, other instructional designers, other trainers, other freelancers. And often when they couldn't do a project, they would call and say, Hey, I have this project. I can't do it. I'm already booked. Can you do this work? And honestly, most of my referrals come from what you would call my competition. I mean, they're doing the same thing I'm doing. That's really how I started my business. And then if you if you do good work, you can have clients for a long period of time. So I worked with a real estate company here in the Denver area and worked with them for four years. It just we'd finish a project and they'd have a new project and then finish a project and they'd have a new one. And so you just start to build your business that way over time. So that sounds really cool. Can you give us a visual of what a project might look like when you're done with it? Like sure. what exactly are you building? <laughs> Typically it's it's content that I couldn't do anything with if I wanted to. It's very proprietary to their business. So for example, I might go into an oil and gas company and I might learn the ins and outs and processes of how they, let's say, do accounting. And then I would build either instructor-led or virtual instructor-led materials or e-learning that would take learners through that content. And I learn the content enough as an instructional designer to write the content and make it instructionally sound, make it interactive for adult learners using kind of adult learning theory. But if you ask me a year or two from now, I won't remember. <laughs> I'll be dangerous with the knowledge I have, but not a, not a deep level. So typically when we walk away from a project, we are either handing them a facilitator guide, a participant guide, if it's instructor-led. If it is virtual instructor-led, then we are handing them the materials to teach with, interactivities throughout that course. And we're handing them usually a PowerPoint, maybe a participant guide as well, and then or participant workbook. And then if it's e-learning, we're handing them an e-learning course that they can then put somewhere in their internal platforms so that they can deliver that to their end users. And we typically are writing content either for their customers or for their internal employees. So sometimes the work we do is, is we're starting a contract with a company who needs to train their internal employees 
and they're onboarding at a pretty quick rate. They Their employees need to know how to use their systems and tools, and they don't have any training to support that. So we're helping them develop training to support that. Okay, so that's pretty cool. How many clients do you have right now? And how do you manage, how do you manage your time with... Yeah. So my business model is a little bit different. If you talk to a lot of people in my industry who are instructional designers and trainers, often they are working with one or two clients. I have more of an agency model these days. So again, I've been doing this for 15 years. So when I I started, I was the freelancer doing the work for the agency. Now I tend to have more of an agency model where I'll get a project and I've may not have the bandwidth to do all of the work myself. So I have a good bench of freelancers that I reach out to and say, hey, I've got this project. I'm looking for you know somebody to storyboard it, design it and develop it. Do you have the bandwidth? And then I bring them on as a, a 1099 to do the work. So I have more of that agency model. I tend to have anywhere between five and seven clients at a time. So right now I'm sitting at about five clients. One of them is a long-standing client that I've done leadership training work for, for the last nine years. So they're a consistent client that I do work for every year. And then I've got four other new clients that are I'm doing projects with. And in, in our world, we typically write content and then we send it to our clients to review. So there's always this gap where they have the materials. So if you can time it right, while you have one client reviewing materials, you're working on your next client's content. That's in a perfect world. Does that happen often? <laughs> that is in a perfect world. Um, it happens probably 50% of the time. Okay. So we'll we'll set out our dates and say, okay, th- this is what we're all working toward. And then when we send materials to our clients, they won't review it in their time frame that they were given. And so then that extends the project and you have some overlap. And that's why I've always liked the agency model for our business, because then I, if I have other resources, I can sort of tap into other resources and and I've used them for 10 years. So I know their skills, I know their strengths. So I know who to call if I need little pockets of work completed. Yeah, that's important. That's great. Yeah. In regards to multiple revenue streams, tell us about the multiple revenue streams within Zenith Performance Solutions, and we then we can move on from there. Yeah. So for Zenith, I'm working on re- reoccurring income. So for the most part, our income is project based, and I or very early on I learned that you need to you need to be creative in terms of of how you're charging. So. I used to just get charged at the end of every project, uh, or I used to charge clients at the end of every project. And I quickly learned that there needs to be some sort of kickoff fee so that I'm getting income before I finish the project. Because some projects can take about, you know, several months. So I typically do a project kickoff fee. Um, it's usually one third or half of the project total. This also protects me because a lot of times I'll do work. And then if the client is sort of flaky and doesn't get back to me. It allows me to to still get paid if I'm waiting for them. Contractually, that's really important. And then I also have a couple other multiple revenue streams. I have a course, a Canva course that I am working on that I've already delivered once. And that's another revenue stream. So that's, I teach other courses as well, mostly around technology that we use in in our training industry. And then I have an LMS, which is a learning management system 
Um, it's called Talent LMS, and I host courses for clients. So if a client, we build a course for them and they want it to be tracked with their as their learners take it so they can see, it, did their learners take it? How long did they spend in it? What was their quiz score? Things like that. Often they don't have a place to put those things. And, and I do have an LMS. So right now I'm hosting a course for a real estate company and I I host that for them. And that's just reoccurring income for us that I bill them for every month. So whether it's training, whether it's e-learning development or, or materials, content development, or whether it's hosting, I think it's important to, to really spread your services across the different facets so that if one struggles, you've got some others to fall back on. Later this year, I'm going to host, I'm going to launch a membership site and that membership site will hopefully be reoccurring income that will be kind of a fourth revenue stream, if you will. The other thing that I've learned in, and I learned this in 2008 when I started my business is you can't have all your eggs in one industry either, right? So if at the time I had a contract with, with oil and gas and real estate, real estate actually was okay because they had, they needed content in a lot of areas that they didn't have. For example, distressed properties. We built a course on distressed properties because up until 2008, they didn't need to train their agents what distressed properties were. But then 2008, when we had our crash, they all of a sudden had a need. Industries ebb and flow. And so if you're all in one industry and that industry takes a hit, your business takes a hit. So I've always tried to spread myself across multiple industry verticals so that I can can sustain that. I think that's really solid advice. Yeah. So share with us a little bit about your <clears throat> other business, which yeah. is Lip Sass and More. That yeah, how fun. Right. So again, I love to teach. And so when I when I was looking at in 2015 was probably my hardest year in business. I'm not sure why, even after evaluating some of that. Well, it was an election year. Election years in corporate America are always interesting. Companies tend to hold on to their money and they may not outsource as much work. In 2015, at that point, I had three employees, uh, no, four employees, and we took a pretty big hit in revenue in 2015. And most business coaches would tell you that you should lay people off. And that's probably what I should have done, but I loved them. And we were a close knit team. And so I chose to hold on to them. And instead I was like, I need to find a revenue stream for my own salary. So not sound business advice. <laughs> like I should have, I should have laid off. I should have done a reduction in force and I should have paid myself. But instead I paid my employees and said, okay, I need to find a source of revenue. And I just decided that I needed to find a revenue stream that would pay my bills. So I started Lip Sass and More. It's make I makeup and skincare direct sales company. I knew that I loved to teach and I love to help women. I'm very pro women entrepreneurs. And so for me, it was a really good fit because I could take everything that I loved doing in my training business and I could teach others how to A, run their businesses because I did build a team and then also teach people how to feel more confident, teach women how to feel more confident in skincare and in makeup. It was also a company. The reason I chose that company was because it was women-owned. She had started that company 20 years ago and she had done it all without debt. And that's pretty phenomenal. It's a billion dollar business now. And so for me, 
it kind of aligned with what was important to me and, and gave me another revenue stream. My, my team built quickly. I was able to sort of pay my salary with that income and pay my employees, which again, not sound business advice. I probably shouldn't have done that, but you learn a lot from that. And I don't know that I would do it any differently. I've always believed that you should have multiple revenue streams so that if you get laid off or you, you have other expenses that come up, you can support yourself and take care of those. A hundred percent. Do you have employees now? I don't. So I've kind of gone back to the 1099 model. The work that I get is so variable that it doesn't make sense for me to have W-2s. Right now I have two 1099s doing some work for me. A year ago, I had 16. So the amount of work that we do really ebbs and flows. I have a virtual assistant. And I would say like when you're starting your business, my best advice and your first hire is that virtual assistant or that person who's going to do all of the tasks that you don't want to do. So my first hire would always be a virtual assistant. My second hire was my bookkeeper and my tax accountant, my CPA. Again, not my strengths. And I don't focus where I don't need to focus. So could I do my own books? I could. Do I want to do my own books? I do not. Um, and so, and then, and then the third place that I outsource is my website. Again, I have the technical skills to totally maintain my website, but I don't have the time, nor do I want to spend my time in those areas. So my virtual assistant does most of my blogging, most of my social media. She sends out my newsletters and then she helps me with miscellaneous tasks I might need help with. And then my my bookkeeper, my CPA, and then my website designer, they stay in their lanes. I stay in my lanes. I think it's really important. So, but you have to have the income to do that. You have to have the revenue stream. And so I've always just known what my revenue stream has to be in order to to outsource some of those things. And I've I've done those four roles since the very beginning. So I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's important. What's the best advice that you've ever received? I think the best advice I received was that my first hire should be somebody who can help me do the things that I'm not good at. I think you really have to take a look at what your strengths are, what fuels you, what fills your cup. And at first, when you start your business, you kind of have to do it all because you got to make money, right? Mm-hmm. And so you you want to focus on making money first, but then as you start to get clients and you start to do the work what, do, what really fuels you? Where do you want to be spending your time? I do not want to be spending my time updating my website. I do not want to be spending time sending out my newsletter because I'm not good at it and it doesn't happen. <laughs> so I know where my weaknesses are. And then I try and fill those. And I think for people taking a really deep look at what am I good at and what, what fuels me? I love strengths-based leadership. I love Go Discover Your Strengths by Marcus Buckingham. I think going through some of those exercises and identifying what you're good at and what really fuels you will help you sort of get your head around what are going to be the best places for you to outsource the work that you have. Great. What's one of your favorite apps or system that you use every day in your business? I use the Microsoft Suite and then of course Canva. I live in Canva for both my businesses. I use it for my lips business every day. I use it for my Zenith performance solutions business every day. I also use Monday 
Com. So Monday is kind of like Asana. It's a project management system. And then I use some specialized tools for the work that I do for instructional design. I work in Articulate Storyline, Articulate Rise, do a little work in Lectora. Those are e-learning development tools that I touch almost every day. Now for Monday.com, do yeah. you do that with your, like all the people that work for you I do. And, and do you also do it with your corporate clients or is that different? I, I do. Nope. So I use Monday for both my businesses. If I'm planning something for, for my lips business and I need some project management, I'll plan out the tasks that need to be done. And then for my Zenith, I do our marketing plans are all in Monday. And then for client projects, that's in Monday as well. So if I'm building an e-learning course for a client, I'll have a project that lays out all the different tasks and steps and dates that those things need to be ha happen. And I actually invite our clients to those so that they can see the dates that they're responsible for. And we collaborate on that and make sure that the dates work for everyone. But what I found is if I do it in there, my clients are most more likely to meet their dates. Whereas if I didn't share it with them, they, I might tell them, Hey, I need this by Friday, but I don't know, putting it on on paper and what's not really on paper, but by putting it in Monday, they see it and it's a different level of accountability. And so they're more likely to hit their dates. It also allows us to have updates back and forth because it has a notes section. So if I have a question, I can pop it in there. I can also track time. So you can track time. So when I'm working with contractors, they can track their time and it's a hidden column. My customer, my client can't see that column, but I can. So I can track some benchmarks on how long different tasks take them. Oh, and then they great. can submit their timesheets that way. That's smart. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Monday is nice. It's a, mm -hmm. I feel like it's a pretty convenient tool. It really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I use drip as well. Drip is my email CRM management okay. system. So that's that one. Great. And where can listeners find you online? Yeah. So you can find me online at zenithperformancesolutions.com. Come find us on at lipssass and more. It's a lot of s's.com. So lipsassandmore.com. And then we're on all the socials. So we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on TikTok, we're on YouTube. And it's just those at lipssass and more or at Zenith Performance Solutions. Great. I'll put all that in the show notes too. Great. For everybody. Danny, thanks so much for joining us today. What a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I love talking about this. I love helping other entrepreneurs kind of figure it out. I think the more that you can network and listen to others, the less, less headaches you might have because you can sort of take their advice and try it. We all know that we learn more than when when we fail, but sometimes we can fall a little less hard <laughs> if we talk to others who've kind of been through it. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And I love that you talked about networking. We really didn't touch on that too much, but, um, but networking is key, right? It really is. Yeah. Networking. I always say when I, when I present at conferences in the, our field of instructional design, we become better instructional designers when we share with others. And when we don't share with others, then we're not improving our industry. So I think it's really important to do that. And I would say the same for network marketing or direct sales. The more that we can share with others in the same industry, the better we all get. 
A hundred percent. I think that's true for, for any industry, for all the niches. Thanks, Danny. Have a wonderful day. Okay. You too. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye.